Hey everyone, welcome on into the Sandy Charles Show podcast on the Arizona Varsity Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sandy Charles. And if you could go and give five stars and subscribe, everyone at Arizona Varsity appreciates it. I appreciate it. So much goes into these and we just love um, your support. And yeah, go ahead, five stars and subscribe. So it is spring training and a lot has been going on. Um, it's been crazy over here. I am, I'm not in recovery mode just yet because literally MLB Networks 3030 just ended. And so a little bit about that uh, before we get into today, to today's guest. Um, so MLB Network has 30 clubs in 30 days. There's 15 clubs in Arizona and 15 clubs in Cal in Florida. Okay, guys, my brain is still sleeping, <laughs> clearly. Um, so 15 in Florida and 15 in Arizona. And what the network did years ago, um, because I think this is my 10th season doing a spring training for them. That could be maybe my ninth. Anyways, um, so they have us go to every club, every single, a different club every single day during spring training. So this year it started 15 in Florida first, and then the second half of 3030. So when you see me post about 30 slash 30, that means MLB Networks, 30 clubs in 30 days. And so for 15 days straight, I'm at a different club. So maybe Reds one day, Padres one day, uh, Dodgers one day, White Sox one day, so on, so on, so on, and you get it. So my last day was with the Cubs. Um, and so now that 15 straight days is over. But then I, I'm really tired. Um, I don't, I guess I don't realize taking a day off whether, how much that helps you in recuperating, but I just love, 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 love my job so much. I do. I'm such a baby. I know I've said it before on here, but I cry every time leaving and yesterday packing up all this stuff and being with the crew. I just, I had to step away just to cry. Just it's, it's bittersweet because I'm happy that we got it in this year and it was awesome. But then I just love these people so much. I love the opportunity and I don't know when, you know, with baseball and COVID and everything being so different, I don't know when the next time is that I'll be able to be with everyone. So it's really hard. Um, it's really hard on me. And I, I just love what I do, which is so funny. There's a story. So I go to Bible study every Wednesday night and um, the lady I guess I've talked a lot about my job because I had a lady, a girl in, in the class come up to me after and she goes, Sandy, what do you do for a living? Every week you say how much you love your job. And she did it all like this kind of dramatic, which was cute. She's like, you talk about how much you love your job. I've never known anyone to love their job so much. So what do you do? <laughs> and I kind of felt in that moment a little embarrassed but then a little pride, I guess, but I was just, I guess I was so embarrassed because I guess I talk about my job a lot and I never say I'm a sports reporter. I never say that. I haven't said that once in Bible study. I say, I just work in sports. So, um, whether that's at the high school level, whether that's at the collegiate, whether that's at the pro or whatever, I just absolutely love my job. And I guess I just say it every week. So my prayer request always is for work. Like I, you know, I pray over work. Um, it's never anything else. And I guess if I'm going to be completely honest, as long as my career is going great um, and things are well in the work world, I kind of the personal life, I just am like, okay, great. That's just there. And I think that's something that I'm through Bible study has been brought to my forefront and really like, okay, Cindy, you can't be a hundred percent career girl. Like get this together, your relationship, your family, you're this, you're that. So, um, I guess I was embarrassed because everyone else is talking about their families and their homes and all this stuff that they have and um, all the loved ones that they're around and mine's always work. And so I guess it embarrassed me and made me feel a little superficial, which I know it's not, but <clears throat> it's just my love and my priority. So um, anyways, that's okay. So that's about that. And that's spring training and that's Bible study. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but again, don't know where, when MLB, how much will come back this year, just due to COVID and, you know, COVID has affected all of us. And so that is why my guest today has had a front row seat to COVID. 
My next guest has worked in the COVID unit in the hospital, and she's also a Cardinals cheerleader. So that's the sports connection there. So I wanted to really get her grasp on what it's been like to work for the Cardinals and then what just kind of pull back the veil on COVID and what she's seen and how it's affected her. Um, you, um, some of you may know that Gabe uh, lost his dad um, to COVID last year in 2000, in 2020, in May, in June. And it was really hard. It was really hard and on everyone. I'm not even, you know, it's not even my dad and it just, anything that hurts to Gabe and his family, of course, is going to hurt me, but the whole situation was just so awful. And it's something that you just don't wish upon anyone having to say goodbye through an iPad not being able to be there, not being able to hold his hand or, or comfort him. Um, it's not my story to tell. And so that's why I had Gabe on to tell it. I can tell from my point of view, but it also feels very selfish because it is, it's just not my story. Um, it was hard and it was two weeks in an Airbnb with <laughs> a whole family, three families in one Airbnb. And so as much as that was really hard because we all were crammed in, it was actually comforting because at nights when it was hard for his sisters or for Gabe or for anyone, it was, everyone was all together and everyone could speak of the positives and the good memories. And um, you play Monopoly and maybe, you know, not think of it for a hot minute or something like that, hot longer than a hot minute. Cause I think they played Monopoly till three in the morning one night. Um, but it was just, really hard. And so this guest has seen it firsthand. Um, and I, God bless all the nurses out there because when we went through that with Gabe's dad, it was the nurse. I was always talking on the phone with the nurse and the nurse was the one who uh, was on the iPad when the family was saying goodbye. So I can't imagine what these nurses have seen. So that my next guest is a nurse in COVID unit. And so she's seen it all. And she's been that person that's held the iPad and had family members say goodbye. So her name is Darby and she's a nurse here in the Valley. She went to ASU. So we have all these great connections. I went to ASU. I am a Cardinals fan. I'm a sports reporter. So I cover the Cardinals. So I just love that our lives intertwined, but she is such a blessing and such a light and her faith is so important to her. And of course my faith is important to me. And so you just notice that talking to her and you notice that even just seeing her um, on social media and stuff that she stands for something more than, than for herself. So without further ado, this is Darby and she is a beautiful person inside and out, but she is going to just kind of talk to us about COVID and what she's seen every single day. We are recording. Okay. Okay, Darby. So it has been a year for you. I know it has been for everyone, but you especially. Before we get into that, let's just get to know you a little bit better. Who you are, where did you grow up? Where does Darby's story start? Yes. So I actually am a native of Arizona, which I feel like is a surprise to most people because to me, Arizona is like a melting pot of people from different states. But I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, and fun fact, I actually work in the same hospital that I was born in, so yes. haven't gone very far. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. So where did you go to high school? I went to Dobson High School in Mesa. Go oh Mustangs. <laughs> that is literally right down the street from your hospital. You are not joking. Yes, no, it, it really is. No, not, not far at all. Okay. So then from Dobson, where did you go to college? Yeah, I went to ASU. So Arizona State University. I went to the nursing program there. And then now I am a lumberjack. I'm at Northern Arizona University right now getting my master's. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. That's so what are you getting your master's in? Family nurse practicing. Wow. Okay. There's so much. I know I want to get into your nursing and everything. Um, so at a, so you're a Cardinals cheerleader also. So where does dancing fit in to everything as you grew up? And did you do any dancing at ASU? Where does that fit? Yeah. So my parents put me in dance at the age of two. So I started dancing when I was pretty young and I danced, uh, or I grew up dancing competitively in a dance studio 
Um, I did like strictly traditional ballet for a while, then did, you know, competition dance with all different types of genres of dance. Um, I was on the dance team in high school and I also was on the palm team and I did cheer as well. Um, but I really, I really only did the cheer team in high school because it had dance in it, not mm -hmm. because I was, you know, an amazing tumbler or stunter or anything like that, but dance was part of it. So I did high school, um, dance, cheer and palm. And then in college, I knew that I wanted to do the nursing program and wasn't entirely sure how that would fit into my schedule. So I did a dance minor. So what that kind of entailed was like Latin ballroom swing, you know, those different genres of dance. And then on the side, I worked for an event company, um, that had a professional dance company. So we would go to like a lot of like sweet 16 parties and bar and bat mitzvahs and different events like that and just perform like hip hop and jazz and different styles of routines. And what's your go-to style? Oh, that's <laughs> hard. Uh, I would say like jazz and like a sassy hip hop are kind of my, my style now. Yes. Okay, good. I grew yes. up dancing too. So I love that. What studio did you grow up competing or like, uh, dancing in your whole life here? Yeah, I started at Jean's school of dance and ballet mm -hmm. etudes. So they were kind of two studios combined into one. Um, and ballet etudes is where I kind of got my, the ballet part that I talked about earlier. And then after that, I went to classic image dance where mm -hmm. I went there from the end of junior high through high school. And that was the the last dance studio that I went to. That's all. Yeah. I know classic. Well, I know both of them, but classic image. Um, cause I was at dance connection my entire life. So okay. that, <laughs> that is, I, was yes. like, I remember classic image. That's yep. awesome. Um, those are some of my favorite memories, like uh, traveling around competing. It just was awesome. And yes. I actually now thinking back and like the world that we're in, in, in now, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe we did that. Like it just seems so, <laughs> so it seems so not real. Um, yes, I agree. Why? So why nursing? Why did you want to be a nurse? And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. And we want to thank AALL.net insurance. That's all.net insurance. They're Arizona focused for almost 40 years. 30 Valley locations for all of your home, auto, and commercial needs. I have them for my home and for my car. They are Arizona's most referred insurance agency focused on customer service and finding the right coverage at the right price. Everyone's budget is different. Everyone's needs are different. My needs are different. Your needs are different and Papa Hinayosa will take care of you amazing partnerships with over 20 different carriers they do the shopping for you you guys that is key for me because one I don't have time two I get overwhelmed three I don't know what the heck to do so they take care of it for you call 602-233-3333 Papa Hinayosa will take care of you all the amazing people at all.net insurance will take care of you yeah. So I grew up in kind of a medical family. So my mom, I mean, completely different, but my mom is a veterinarian, mm. um, an emergency veterinarian. And I grew up my whole life, you know, watching my mom take care of animals and just be really into medicine. I remember her always having like her books open and researching things. And I always found that to be very intriguing. Um, and then I have uncles that are all physicians as well, too. And so it was something that kind of sparked my interest. Um, so when I went to ASU, actually, I started originally as a biological sciences major, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do nursing or go to medical school or exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and then I took this pre-nursing kind of seminar and talked a lot about the role of a nurse. And through that, I kind of knew that I definitely wanted to be a nurse. And what drew me to it was just being at the bedside and really being with the patients. Um, part of the beauty of being a nurse is that you really are the person that's with the patient their entire stay. And you make a massive impact on their care. And I think a lot of times that you're the one that they really remember and can make a huge difference for them. And so that is why I ultimately decided to become a nurse. 
and your, we will get into it. Cause that is a lot of what I wanted to, why I wanted to talk to you a little because of sports and you've yeah. seen it firsthand with um, COVID, but you're in, where exactly are you stationed right now? What are you working on? Yes. So I am an ER trauma nurse and I work in a level one trauma center. So I do emergency trauma nursing, but then um, with COVID and everything, I also started working in the adult ICU as well. So when you, so I worked in the USC County hospital, which when I worked there, it was the number one trauma for the nation. I'm not sure if that still is correct or not, but it, so every, and I chose Saturday and Friday nights because I would get to see the most activity. It was, it's highly surrounded by gang activity and that kind of stuff. So there was just so much um, uh, gunshot wounds and stabbings and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of drunk driving, which was really hard to see. And so I, there's a lot of things I got to see. Do you, what's the like most, I guess being in the ER, what's the, your vivid memory of the first thing that you saw and you were like, Oh my gosh. Cause I know that the, actually the stabbing for me was the, mo- was more shocking than the gunshot wound. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a hard question because there's so many different types of patients and some things surprise you, but all in kind of like different ways. Mm-hmm. I would probably say, yeah, my some of the gunshot wounds and stabbings, they do what's called an open thoracotomy where they open up the chest and yeah. those really are very fascinating to me. And they'll be massaging the heart and occluding where, you know, the bullet hole wound or the stab wound is. And that to me is very, very interesting and, you know, a very shocking part of nursing. But then there's so many other stories like people having acute strokes. And I've seen people in kind of like wow moments where they are completely paralyzed on one side or they can't speak. And you think it's going to be something that's going to be, you know, permanent for the rest of their life. And then we give them a medication called Alteplase or TPA and you just watch before your eyes, their symptoms resolve and then be able to move and talk. And those things are just so fascinating to me how much, you know, medicine has advanced and those are moments just as much as, you know, a crazy gunshot wound or anything like that. Yes. No, a hundred percent. And that's so, I love the beauty in that, that you can see them just not, I don't want to say heal because they're not either, you know, they still have something going on, but their symptoms are subsiding. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw a chest get broken open and that like, I call it a crank cause I don't know what else to call it. And maybe no, this- you're, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> and they cranked open the ribs and everything and to get to see the heart. And I was like, <gasps> so when you brought that up, it's like, oh my gosh, that just come, came rushing back to my Yep, <laughs> Those are always very intense, <laughs> very intense and everything. Yeah. And that, and I love that you not to bring, make light of anything because everything is, um, of course, if you're in the ER, that's, it's very important and it's, it's dire. So, um, I love that. I love that. I can kind of talk medicine with you because I was yes. you and it's so awesome. Yeah. The, we will get to all the COVID stuff. Um, so from now from ASU nursing, when did, and now where does Cardinals cheerleader fit into all of that? Were you still at ASU? No, I was not at ASU. So I graduated in 2014. And then being on Cardinals was always in the back of my brain. It was always something that I knew I wanted to do, but it was really, really important to me that I was comfortable in being a nurse before I went and auditioned Mm -hmm. because I didn't want two massive changes all at one time. So I actually worked as a nurse for two years before I auditioned for Cardinals. So my first year on Cardinals was in 2016. So I had waited two years and been taking dance classes on the side. And then I felt, you know, pretty grounded in who I was as a nurse and knew that I could take on something else new. And so that's when I tried out for Cardinals. That's So awesome. post-college. Girl, you're so grounded and like realistic. Oh. It's so, it's no, no. <laughs> so cool. To Thank see. you. What is I... Um, so growing up dancing, I always like auditions. I'm the worst at auditions. I will blow it. And it is, I do not know why if I get the gig and I show up, I'll nail it. But if I have to audition, I'm terrible at it. So what were Cardinals auditions like? Yeah. So, you know, I have been to many different types of auditions in my life, you know, growing up dancing. And the amazing thing about Cardinals auditions is genuinely everyone is so supportive of you 
it's, it's just a very unique environment. Like everyone's cheering you on it. Although it is a massive competition, it almost doesn't feel like it because everyone genuinely wants you to do your best. Um, you know, it can be intimidating going in a room with hundreds of beautiful women who are so smart and so talented and well-rounded and well-spoken. It can definitely be very intimidating. Um, but as far as like auditions and I'm sure you never actually blew it, but I feel like times that I did my best for when I was the most like quiet in my mind. Mm. I kind of did that by not looking around the room and not comparing myself to other people. And I'm sure you've heard it before too. And it sounds so cheesy, but people are always like, don't compare yourself to other people. You bring something unique and you bring something on your own. And those are easy things to, you know, say to someone else, but to like truly believe that is another thing. And I think when I've gone into auditions and been like, okay, Darby, you can only do the best that you can do. Mm -hmm. You can't be anyone else. You can literally only be yourself. So be the best version of you is when I've done the best. And so I always try and quiet my mind, not look around the room too much and just do the absolute best that I can, which is quite simple, but it can be kind of a hard thing to get in that mental space. Yeah, no, that's, and I think that's good advice for everything, especially in auditions. And even if you have a board meeting or if you're going into anything, I just really feel like that is such good advice. I have not mastered that at all. Even <laughs> when I I'm have not to- saying I'm a master at all either. It's hard. <laughs> it is so hard even going like live on for when I'm sidelines. It's, it's still hard to this day. I do I auditioned for the Suns, I think my junior or senior year of college, and I made it to, I want to say it was the final 12, and they broke us up into groups of two, and so it was me and this other girl had to go in front of all the judges and do it, and I was on all day long until then, and I blacked out the first, like, the first eight count, and so then I was like, uh, uh, standing there, and I was like, oh, man, and to this day, I still remember that choreography because I, it's such like a, I was traumatized. I could not yes. believe that I had it in the bag, and oh, I, yeah, that, that totally happens, you know, like, your mind just, like, plays a trick on you, especially in situations like that when they're like, okay, two people. And you're like, oh gosh, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> exactly. Is yeah. that just Cardinals start as a big group and then break down like that at all? Yeah. So in years previous, um, the first day, I think you go in like groups of five and then they cut it. And then I think from there you're in groups of three. So mm-hmm. it's never like just one person and from all the years I've been on the team, they never did callbacks, which was nice where like every round goes. And then at the end, they don't say like, Oh, you know, Darby and Sandy, it's your, your turn to go again. They've never done that, which is, which is very nice. Yes. And your wait, how does Angie fit in? Because it's such a small world <laughs> that I went to high school. Well, I don't, I went to high school with her brothers and she was older and then she was my cheer coach. How does she fit into this mix? Yes. So Angie became my, uh, my coach, my third year on Cardinals. So the first two years I had a different coach named Christina and then Mm -hmm. Angie became my coach, my third, fourth and fifth years. And I could not find enough good things to say about her. She really is an awesome leader. Yes. No, she's fabulous. She was fabulous back then too. I love that. Yes. It's so full circle. Um, so you, I know when I talked to you before, right, kind of when COVID at the beginning of COVID, you had mentioned traveling around a lot before COVID, uh, with Cardinals. Where have you yeah. traveled with Cardinals? Oh yes. I've gone so many incredible places with Cardinals. So Let's see, my second year on Cardinals, I went to London for the London games. Um, and that was an incredible experience. So we played the Rams out there. So we went for a week to London. Uh, that same year, I also went to Mexico and we went to our different um, radio stations out in Mexico and visited with them and did some performances at high schools and did some junior cheer clinics. And then the following year, which would have been my third year on Cardinals, I went to Dallas at AT&T Stadium for the live NFL draft. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, very awesome experience. That was the year that we chose Josh Rosen as our quarterback, which was an exciting draft because they traded, they traded up. We we didn't go in our, our normal schedule because they traded with another team. So it was kind of a 
exciting, unexpected draft. So I went to Dallas then. And then I also went to my fourth season. I went to um, Hawaii and Alaska with Pro Tour Productions and Armed Forces Entertainment. And so with that, I went to different military bases for the Super Bowl. And we celebrated the Super Bowl with different military men, women, and their families. And that was a really, really, really special experience. So I've been to all kinds of different places and of course, all over Arizona. Um, and then let's see, we also have gone to Las Vegas and Atlanta for pro cheer and dance conventions where we meet up with other NBA and NFL teams and learn choreography from different choreographers across the country. So lots of places. That's awesome. That's really cool. I didn't know that you guys would get together with other teams. That's awesome. Cause it, yeah. I mean, it's every, you're still learning and every sharing, sharing your secrets is so good. Yeah. What would you say, or how would you describe the 2020 season with COVID? How different was it? Yeah, it was a lot different, um, but I'm very thankful that we were able to do anything mm -hmm. um, because I feel like with a year that was so kind of all over the place for so many people, it was nice to feel still a part of something and still, you know, included in something like that. And so that was really special, but the 2020 season was definitely a lot different. We did all of our practices on Zoom. So we, we saw each other through a computer a lot of times, wow. which, you know, had its challenges, but the challenges were usually pretty entertaining with, <laughs> you know, people's power going out and the dogs and there was like a storm one day, just all the different things that come along with, you know, using the internet. And then for game day, our team was really, really lucky that we were able to go to the stadium. Um, it was nothing like it traditionally is. We were spaced out. We didn't go to our locker room like we normally do because we needed social distancing. And, you know, we of course had masks on, but it was really cool to be able to be there. Mm. And we cheered up on a bridge and some games, there were no fans. Some games there were 400 fans. There was a game, you know, with like 800 fans. So, you know, there was not many people there, but it was kind of a cool experience to hear quiet football, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then all of our appearances were on Zoom as well too. So wow. lots of at home cheerleading. <laughs> wow. That's so, I could not imagine practicing through Zoom. That is incredible. And you guys did it. The, did you guys have to quarantine or get tested all the time in order to be at the stadium? Yeah. So for some games, we did have um, testing requirements and the organization was incredible about making sure that we had the resources to get tested. So we had some testing um, sites that we were able to go to and we were able to get tested. And the nice thing too was that ASU was doing all of their testing at State Farm Stadium. Mm -hmm. So there was testing sites there, which was awesome. And then there were also some urgent cares that we were able to go to if anyone on our family was ever sick and they needed resources, the Cardinals provided that, which was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. Did you, being a nurse and you're already in the ER, in the ICU, do you, did any of that ever, um, I guess, uh, overlap or anything like that where you got tested for the hospital and you're, do you have to get tested for the hospital or no? No, the, for okay. the hospital, you do not have to get tested. So the only times that you ever need to get tested in the hospital is if you are sick. Gotcha. Um, otherwise, there's no testing requirements. We are required to wear PPE at all times. So we're definitely, you know, protecting people with that and they're wearing masks as well too. But if you have any symptoms whatsoever, you have to get tested, but um, otherwise you don't. Gotcha. Okay. So even yeah. though you work in a hospital, it didn't help that much for all the testing and everything for Cardinals, because regardless, you had to do it. Uh, how often were you getting tested for Cardinals? Um, let's see. We, we only let's cause things change, things change throughout the course of the year with the recommendations and everything. So there was a couple of times with different games. I'm not sure exactly the amount, but yeah. there were a couple of games where we were required beforehand, but otherwise we truly stuck to the social distancing and the masking. And they were very strict about that. And, you know, we also took surveys every time we went into the stadium and we had to get temperature checked and you were not allowed in if your temperature was, you know, over what the 
standard was. And so there was lots of preventative measures and kind of precautions and screening tools that they used. I just, I can't remember exactly how many times I had to get tested. For the most part, smooth season, everything went well, even with all the speed bumps and all that. Yeah, it really, it really went extremely smooth. You know, despite the fact that things changed, what was cool about this year is our team from the season previous, the 2019 season, um, all were extended contracts. And so everyone that was on the 2020 team had already previously been on the team. So no one was new. So, you know, everyone kind of knew what the, the precedence was. So everyone was able to just roll with the punches and smooth sailing because we had all been together for an entire year previously. So I think that really helped you know, move things along smoothly for everyone and, you know, everyone being, being able to adapt. Is there a part of, since you're a nurse, Mm -hmm. you get to see it in the hospital and you're getting to see it out, like being a Cardinals cheerleader, was it, are there ever moments where you're a little bit more hesitant because you see what happens in the ER or are you able to compartmentalize and just like push it out and just kind of be not, I want to say a normal person, but you just have seen things that we haven't seen. Does that ever affect your daily life going into Cardinals or anything else? Yeah, I think even before COVID, I really try and compartmentalize things that happen at work and keep Mm. it at work. Otherwise I really would be dealing with a lot because we, I mean, in the most blatant terms, we do deal with a lot of death and horrible, tragic things outside of COVID. And then COVID just added a whole nother, another layer to that. Um, In my day-to-day life, you know, I try and extend people the most grace I possibly can because, you know, it's, it's easy to look at, you know, a large event or something, you know, where things maybe aren't following standards Mm -hmm. and be upset by it. But people also don't get the viewpoint that I get and Mm -hmm. they don't have the same lens that I do. And so I try and remind myself of that because not everyone's an ER nurse. Not everyone is firsthand dealing with the death and dying and not everyone, you know, firsthand is taking care of these patients and can see exactly how bad it is. And so I try and just extend people grace and just, you know, not be upset by anything, but also, you know, make the best decisions that I possibly can to be safe and make sure my friends are safe and my family is safe and that, you know, things are going accordingly. I would never participate in something that I didn't feel comfortable with or think that was, you know, being ran in a smart way. And so really I felt like Cardinals did an exceptional job at making sure that things were followed properly and that we weren't doing unnecessary things together. And that if we were gathering together, we were not near each other. We were not all in one area and everything was spread out. And so they did a good job of that. So it it was, it was okay to be able to kind of compartmentalize things as far as what I saw in the hospital. That's I'm so like you, the patience and the grace that you have. Cause I, I mean, we'll get to it, but Gabe's dad passed away from COVID. And so there's moments where I'm like, I want to shake people. And so <laughs> I know, and that's, that's so hard. And yeah, that's a whole different, you know, perspective that you have because you are dealing with the tragedy of it too. So, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that for sure. Seeing it firsthand, I was like, these people have no idea what is going on. And well, um, so first, before we finish up with Cardinal stuff, two quick questions. How excited are you for JJ Watt (laughs) to be a Cardinal? I am so excited about that. So I, I was on Instagram and I saw his post and I was like, and it, when it said source me, and I was like, is this actually true? Because DeAndre Hopkins had posted, you know, the week previous, uh, an edited photo of him and JJ Watt. And I was like, is this actually happening? But no, I am thrilled about having JJ Watt and Chandler Jones being healthy next year. So I am so excited to see our defense next year. I think it's going to be incredible. And is Fitz coming back? <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't that a wonderful question? I hope Fitz is coming back because I think he's still got it. So yeah. time will tell. I don't know anything that anyone else, <laughs> that anyone else doesn't know. I'm, I'm on the same page with everyone hoping that he comes back, but unsure. Yeah. I would love to see him come back, especially, I think JJ is such a figure in the locker room, just oh, like yeah. Fitz is. And so I think with that leadership, in the locker room now, and it's just going to transcribe on the field. I think it's going to be great. And I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Uh, 
So we'll go to a little bit more COVID because I know that I saw it firsthand from a different lens that you have. Um, and my sister-in-law also is in the COVID unit um, here in the Valley too. And so she has a, a different lens too. And we always get to talk about it, but I, so Gabe and I, um, his, his dad. So we all went to LA to be with his dad because he was supposed to have surgery. I think it was May 14th and um, they made him get a, a test beforehand and it came up positive and he was fine. Like we went there and we would bring him dinner and leave it at his door or he would come down, but we would be social distance and all masked and leave it for him and he would pick it up and he was fine and it was yeah. fine. And then that was Oh, seven days. And like that was then on a ventilator and just went downhill from there. And I saw the, it's hard to say because I saw the hospital just guessing a lot. Every doctor that I talked to or that the family talked to just was kind of guessing. And this was in May, June. So semi ish early on. Yeah. And it was really, really, really tough. And I don't mean guessing as in they didn't know what to do, but like trying all the COVID drugs and trying remdesivir and trying the prone position and trying all of that. And it was just really tough and hard. And we weren't allowed to say goodbye because um, the COVID had, his lungs were at this point, I don't know how to explain it, but they weren't lungs and they were spewing stuff out of his, mm -hmm. um, the, tr the tr is it the trachea? The, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So it was spewing stuff out of that. So it wasn't safe for us to go say goodbye to him. And so they all had to say goodbye on iPads and it was tough. And the nurse was holding it for us. And I just can imagine what she was going through. So from your lens and what you've seen the last year, what has it been like, if you can take us all, I know that there's HIPAA and I know all that. So no names yeah. or anything like that, but as much as you could open our eyes to what's going on. Yeah. So I would say with COVID, I mean, despite, you know, a huge part of it is me personally seeing the death, but I think the hardest thing for me that I've had to deal with is with families. It is absolutely heartbreaking having people have to die without their families. I mean, it gives me the chills just thinking about that because I think that is the one of the hardest parts about COVID. Visitor restrictions have now changed, but at the time, that part was excruciating to watch because you're holding an iPad and you're just watching these families and they can't physically be there and they can't physically see or hold the patient. And that part was very, very heartbreaking. Um, and then two, you know, giving updates on the phone mm. is also really hard because these people don't know you, the, the, the family, they don't know you. They've never met you. You're just this person on the other end of a phone line and all they can draw from is what you're telling them. And so it really is an extremely important role in communicating with these families, whether it's through an iPad or on a phone, because they're not physically there. And I, I cannot imagine being that family on the other end of it. Um, my grandma passed away a couple months ago. It was not related to COVID, but it was the same thing. I was calling, you know, the nurse and you talk to the nurse and that's all you have to draw from. Um, you know, you're not really talking to the doctor as much. It's really the nursing staff that's giving you the in, in time updates. And so it really just further instilled in me how important that really, really, really is. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but to watch a family through an iPad is just, it's grueling. It really is for, there's really no other way to describe it. It's it's tragic to watch a family, watch their family member pass away in person, but you know, to not be able to lay their hands on them to pray and to hold their hands and a lot of people, you know, like to tuck them in and, you know, fix their hair and hold their hand and not to be able to do that. I just my heart goes out to every single one of those people and I remember those interactions, you know, very vividly and it's just that part is very hard. I think that, but I, yeah. I hate to say that it's hard because I'm not the one that's losing the family member. And so I try and remember that, you know, right. my emotions are my emotions, but you know, they're the ones that are really dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So I don't want the perspective to be that, you know, I'm the one that's hurting because I know that the families are hurting a million times more. And so people like you, my heart goes out to, because I just, I, I can't imagine having to go through that. But it also, and like, that's what I, 
when we were all sitting in this room, we were, there were eight of us <laughs> stuffed in a Airbnb with two bedrooms. And it was just, a, it was really tough, but on the iPad and the nurse holding it, I, I kept thinking about the nurse aside from what we were going through and everything. I was like this poor nurse, and this is only one. I can't imagine how many more. And so it is hard. Like I know that and yours, you have, and I think I said this last time I talked to you, your heart to serve is so big and it's so loving. And I just love that about you, but it is also hard for you because you are invested in that patient and you want yeah. them, you know, to yeah. get up and walk away from this. Yeah. So, what on the positive side of the death have you seen patients get off the um, ventilator and, you know, actually survive this? Have you seen the positive? Yes, I have seen the positive. And especially in recent times, I've definitely seen the positive, um, you know, of patients recovering. And yes, patients have been coming off the ventilators. I think that the care that we give them, it's because we've had the time to figure out best treatment, mm -hmm. um, has improved significantly. Um, my hospital is actually trialing giving antibodies to patients um, that are in the beginning stages. So antibodies, I'm sure you've heard about, has been going on for a while, but we're now giving them more frequently and patients are having such great response to that um, with the assistance of the antibodies. And you know, it, it seems like patients are doing better. And so, yes, I have seen patients come off the ventilator. I've been in the ICU. I've definitely, you know, like we said earlier, I've been in the ICU where patients can't come off the ventilator and that is very heartbreaking, but I equally have seen patients come off the ventilator and do well. And it's just, it is such a joy to be able to see them come off the ventilator. And there's a, there's a whiteboard in our hospital that shows numbers of amount of patients that have come off the ventilator and they they play this song in the hospital that's like the here comes the sun song and they play it when patients come out of the ICU and that they do well. And I love hearing that song because it's just like a little chime of hope. So yes, I, people have been doing well by the grace of God. And so that's, that's awesome. What does it look like when a patient, so if I, if I tested positive and I needed to be admitted, what does that look like for me? So now, now it's significantly better. So I'll speak to kind of how it is right now. The hospital, at least in my personal experience, I'm not saying this is every hospital, but right now, um, you know, the hospital, I, I don't feel like we're as overwhelmed anymore. And so we've actually been getting beds for patients a lot quicker. They've been going upstairs faster. So if you have to get admitted into the hospital, um, admissions start through the emergency department. So you would come to the ER, we would probably draw blood, do labs, get you different medications. You know, you'll see the ER doctor and you'll see the admitting doctor. If you need imaging, x-rays, CTs, anything along those lines, you get that down in the emergency department. And then you would go up to a room upstairs where you would be admitted into the hospital to get further care and breathing treatments and everything else. But really the hospital system is not as overwhelmed as it once was, in my opinion, at my hospital. I know there are other places that are still extremely overwhelmed, but in this moment, things have been okay. I'm not saying that COVID is over because it absolutely is not, right. but things, I, I feel like the light is coming, which is a positive. And Speaking of not over and other places are completely different. When I first asked you to do this podcast, you were actually in California helping, right? Yes, I was. So how is it different in, in over in California than it is right now that you had to go and help over there? You know, so I think too, from what I've heard, cause I'm not there right now at the time they were really overwhelmed with ICU patients. And so kind of a perspective on ICUs. Um, and if you think back, back to like previous flu seasons, you know, tons of people get the flu, yeah. they get admitted into the ICU sometimes, but their discharge times were a lot quicker with viruses such as the flu virus. Mm -hmm. And with COVID, some of these patients are staying there for weeks upon months. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of see where that would overwhelm an ICU because they're just, the patients aren't leaving that unit. And so I think LA was dealing with a lot of just the extended ICU stays. And so, you know, there were hospitals with ICU pop-ups, which were tents and parking lots and things along those lines. 
And a lot of those patients were patients that had just been there for such a long time needing extra care. And so, you know, a way to look at it is, you know, you have patients that are there for months where in previous years with pre previous illnesses before COVID, they would just be being discharged or, you know, they'd be downgraded to other floors where with COVID, you know, they're not really moving anywhere. And so that's kind of where you hear that hospital systems are overwhelmed. And so um, I think at the time LA was dealing with a lot of that. I think it's probably gotten better, you know, in the past like one to two weeks, but that's, that's really what they were dealing with when I was out there. Gotcha. Okay. And just so we're clear with everyone, that was a couple of weeks ago. By the time this aired About a month ago. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, it'll, <laughs> yeah. so by, by no means are we talking about right now. So when I interviewed you at the beginning of COVID, you did take me through what you had to go through. And this was back in May, June of 2020. So the beginning of all this. So when it first hit, what was your date? What did it look like working in the COVID unit? And then we'll get to what it looks like now, like the PPE, everything. So then when it was the worst, what did your day look like? Yeah. So when we originally talked, um, it was bad, but it was not the worst that I saw. I think a couple months after that was when I really was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is actually very bad. Mm. Um, things got a lot worse after I talked to you again, they've gotten better, but I'll, I'll take you to the, the worst of the worst. Um, yeah, that, you know, we were just so genuinely overwhelmed with patients and there were so many patients. There were times where you would have four patients in one room in fold out chairs where normally you would have one patient in a room because there was physically nowhere to stick anyone. We would have hours and hours and hours of wait time. People would be waiting outside. There was just physically no space for anyone. And then just the shortage of PPE was astounding. We would be recycling everything. Um, and then just the most random things we would have shortages of that normally you wouldn't like patients, um, linens, like blankets and gowns, we were overwhelming the linen department so much with the amount of patients that we were having that they couldn't get through all the linen, like just the things that, you know, they're not that important, but it was just crazy. All the different, you know, aspects of making a hospital run like oxygen generators. Well, if everyone's on oxygen, the generator starts beeping because it's running low. So they have to figure that out. There's just so many components that I just would have never thought of that made me so thankful for the things that we do have because it was very overwhelming and they became very creative as to where they put patients in locker rooms and meeting rooms, changing, you know, pediatric floors to adult floors. And it became very creative, I guess, for a lack of better words. Um, we had a lot of travelers that got hired that, you know, helped kind of take the burden off of the ratios, but it was, it was very bad for a while, which makes me thankful that now I, and where I am at, it's looking a little bit better. I want to go through how it's looking better, but Darby, first off, I know this is a lot of COVID questions, but there's still so much confusion around it. And I think people have so many questions. And so hearing from you is just going to help them and help understand what it was like. So first, thank you, because you did give me goosebumps just talking about that because I just can't even imagine. And I kind of pictured myself if I was you going into a closet and just like crying, like, God, what do we do? Like, I'm just overwhelmed. And so just thank you for sharing this because I can just imagine it was so hard for you guys. Um, so in that, I, and, and when you were talking, PPE, is it the same now? Like you had to double mask and do all that stuff. Is it the same now? Yes. So we're still doing the, the double masking. So we'll still wear, if we're working with those patients, you wear your N95 with a mask over the top of it. We're still reusing those, but it is nothing like it was. If you need a new mask, they will give you a new mask where it was kind of beforehand. We have PPE we have for right now at my hospital. We are, we are good. We have all those supplies, which is, which is great. And now that it's a little bit better, you there, it's not as overwhelmed, but you still have to wear the big gown, the hair covering, all of that. Yes. Okay. For, for those patients. Yes. Gotcha. That okay. has not changed. And we're still masking for every single patient in the ER just in case. But yes, we're still doing all of those, all of those precautions. 
I am a true believer and maybe I'm old school. I'm such a believer in the immune system and letting the body kind of fight for itself. When I say that, that's kind of what I mean. So when people think about this, and I really think that if I'm going to try and stretch it really hard to try and pull a positive out of 2020 and COVID, it's okay. Let me refocus. How can I get my body healthy to fight this kind of stuff off? Yeah. What do you think people can be doing at home or in their everyday life to just help their immune system? Oh, that's a good question. I think to just, you know, overall help your immune system, it again, sounds very basic, but drinking water is a wonderful start. Mm -hmm. And then, um, just getting up and moving and getting your body active. And, you know, even if it's around your house, I think that's great. Vitamin C is wonderful. Vitamin D is wonderful. So things like that, like vitamins and supplements. But two, truly, I have always been a believer that stress and an anxiety can definitely make you more ill and it can cause you physical illness, truly. And so I think if you can, trying to find a a good headspace of, you know, giving yourself grace in this past year and being kind to other people and not trying to get, you know, too upset with people that have a viewpoint that's different than yours mm-hmm. and just, you know, being loving and kind to other people. I think it, it sounds so cheesy again, but I think it really is so helpful because it really is so important to be mentally okay. And I think in a year that people are trapped inside of their homes, it's become more important than ever that people are looking out for each other and that they're really caring about their mental health and doing what they need to do for themselves. I think that's equally as important. And I think that also helps your immune system because when you're stressed, your body is, you know, reacting to a lot. And so I think as much as you can, just making sure that you're also in a good headspace as much as you are, you know, physically as well too. I know that I've, the mental part of it didn't really hit me until the end of the year, until end of 2020, November, December, and actually January, 2021, I was not in a good mental headspace. I was depressed and just not okay. Is there, did you ever have those moments last year where you're like, oh my gosh, like, I just don't see the light of this. I see the light now and I have, I'm, I have snapped out of it all is good, but it was tough for those three months for me. Did you have any of that? You know, I feel lucky to say this, that I I feel like I was pretty mentally okay Mm -hmm. for most of it um, because it's something that I have worked on for forever being a nurse. Like I said, we deal with a lot of death and dying. And so I had to learn in an early stage of my nursing career how to deal with that and how to cope and how to find positives in extremely negative situations and how to go to work every day, despite it being an awful day and just being like, I am here to serve these people. I'm here to do my best and I need to have a good attitude about it. And again, that's easy to say, but for me, I, there were days, yes, absolutely. Where I felt a darkness and felt like this was never going to end. And it was very tough. And I did have those days, but it was never anything that, really kind of took over my life, which I'm very thankful for. But I think too, I was able to leave my house and go to work Mm -hmm. and be with people that were going through the exact same thing. And I think there's coping in that too, because my coworkers are all experiencing the exact same thing that I am. And so we could be with each other in person where a lot of people weren't and talk about things and talk about what was, you know, making us upset or stressing us out or, you know, really coping with things as they went on, which I think was really helpful because there, there is, you know, a beauty and being with people that really understand what you're going through that maybe your family or friends don't. And so I think that definitely helped as well too. But I, I do see where you're coming from with that because you dealt with the death of it and, you know, you've been working at home and it, it's hard to, you know, really see what's going on. And too, I think a lot of times people don't necessarily know what's going on because you're getting such mixed information. And I think that causes like a whole nother level of being scared and nervous as well too, where I was able to really kind of see it in real time. So I think that helped me as well. 100%. And the working at home, I just feel like a hamster on a wheel because I wake up 
I go to my studio. My gym is right next door by my couch. Like my yeah. house, my house is my hamster home. And yeah. I, I went crazy. So once football, high school football started in like August, September, August, September, October, November, I was totally fine because I was getting out of the house at least on Fridays. Yes. And once that went away in December, I just crashed. I mentally was like, what am I doing? I was so not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's so understandable. That, that really is very understandable. And you're not the only one. And I think those are that's a very valid reason to feel that way for sure. No, I'm, I love that you could go to work and you could get, and everyone else is going through it. So you had all of them. They were your army because I can't even imagine. I, I do watch Grey's Anatomy and they've kind of been on a COVID thing the last, well, I guess since they came back. And so I kind of picture that and I have no idea if it's really what you guys go through because it's TV, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, if that is, um, well, Darby, you are such a blessing and I know that your faith is important to you and I, it, as it is to me too. And I know that that's something I've really tried to lean into. I always have my whole life, but especially 2020. Yeah. And so just thank you for being that light and being out there and serving with your serving heart that you have. It's so great. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And I, I could not agree more. Like Jesus definitely brought me through the year 2020 and into 21. And yeah, that, like I said earlier with learning to cope at an early time, that is my coping mechanism for sure. So I can relate to you with that. We look for, wait, do you know if you're coming back for, I know there's auditions and all that, but are you planning on coming back for another season with the Cardinals or is that to be determined and breaking news maybe one day? Yes. So actually, unfortunately, this was my last season. So I had five incredible years on the team, but I will be retired. Um, our organization actually does a four-year kind of tenure on the team. And I was very lucky that I got to have year five because of COVID. So that was a positive of COVID. Yes. This will be my last year and I'll be an alumni and I'm excited to, you know, stay involved and still be part of the Cardinals organization. And they're such a family to me, but yes, this was my last year. Your last, well, five years, girl, that is awesome. Yay. I love seeing your pictures of, um, when you would post on with Cardinal stuff and it's awesome to see so thank you so much for taking the time and for opening our eyes to your world with COVID. And I know we didn't even scratch the surface of it, um, but just a little glimpse I think will help everyone. And now that we're, I don't want to say out of it, like you said earlier, but like it's, it's the, not as overwhelmed. And I don't want to, <laughs> I'm scared to say anything because anything can change any second. Um, but praise God that right now everything is semi, uh, low key, I guess. Yes, I absolutely agree. Thank Yes. I hope things keep trending in a positive direction that we'll, we'll talk about this again in a year, like we did last time and it's going to be all good. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Darby, thank you so much. Is there anything you want everyone to know? And I don't know, cause I don't want to say your last name, but if you want to say your social, you can, but I don't know like with Cardinals, even though you're not with Cardinals, I'm going to edit this part clearly out. But if there's anything you want to plug, um, you can. Um, I would just say if you want to keep up with, you know, everything with the Arizona Cardinals cheerleaders to follow AZ Cards Cheer on Instagram and Twitter, and they stay pretty up to date there. And you can see all the girls' lives and the things that they're doing. But yeah, that would probably be my only, my only plug. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. Okay, Darby, thank you so much. And I will see you on social. Um, when I do my open with you yeah. or for you, can I say your last name or do you just want me to keep it Darby? Um, you can, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. They probably, I mean, they would probably say just Darby. So maybe just stick it with Darby would probably be better. Okay. Cool. I know just to protect you guys. Okay. I love you, girl. Thank you yes, so, so thank much. Thank you. It was when nice you work next. You. No, so good. Sorry I got emotional. I just like, I oh, can you're imagine no. what you have gone through. Um, you, when, do, when are you back at the hospital? I will be back on Sunday. Sunday. Okay, cool. Well, go enjoy your Friday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yes, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. You got it, girl. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much to Darby for stopping by and just kind of telling us about her year. Uh, it is, it cannot. Um... Thanks so much to Darby to stopping by chatting with me about her life, who she is and what it's been like with COVID. And just thank you, Darby, for all you do, that all the nurses, doctors, everyone in healthcare do, because there's so much more. Everyone's running the tests, all, everyone in healthcare. We need you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, please stay safe out there, everyone. It seems as though life is getting back to a little bit of normalcy and just, it doesn't mean the virus went away and it doesn't go away. So please stay safe, wash your hands, take your vitamin C, take your zinc ionophores, take your zinc. I swear by them. This is not medical advice, but of all the medical journals that I've read, zinc ionophor is really, 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 really combating COVID. So take it. It's easy to find. Um, it's quercetin. Find your quercetin. Take it every single day, every single day. Okay. I'm going to tell you vitamin C, vitamin D, quercetin. Go. <laughs> okay. Anyways, love you guys all so much. Hit five stars, hit that star button up boop, 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 and subscribe. I love you lots. And I will talk to you next time.